Thank you. All right. So I am one of the pastors at Calvary. I've been there since about 2005, and I started uh, being on staff in 2007. Uh, once we moved from our McDonald's area, we moved to behind the Shell gas station, and we just got too busy. So I did mostly the websites and graphics and all that. So I came on staff because at that time we were doing many, many things, many mm-hmm. events, and it was just too difficult to... Uh, not have somebody on staff to take care of all that stuff. And then I went on media. So we are going to be in the Gospel of John today in chapter 14. So if you guys want to turn there, but first turn to Matthew 4. We're going to start there. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, we just thank you for today, and Lord, thank you for bringing us here safely. Lord, I just pray that uh, you keep everybody safe today, the ones that couldn't make it to church. I know it's just too cold. And Lord, we just pray that they could just get into your word today and and just be blessed. And Lord, I just pray for this time that you gave us and just give me the right words to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, who was John? He was not John the Baptist, but he was the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. They were called and nicknamed the Sons of Thunder by Jesus during his ministry. Now, since you're in Matthew 4, this is where Jesus called Simon Peter and his brother Andrew to his ministry. It says in verse 19, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. See, they were fishermen, but Jesus told them to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mark's gospel says, become fishers of men. Then in verse 21 it says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew, as you read, they were casting their nets into the sea, and James and John were mending the nets. You see, John would go on to write books of the Bible that would mend the church and mend people. Those books were this gospel, Gospel of John, then you have first, second, and third, and then the book of Revelation. Now, it's interesting, John's mother, Salome, was the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. So they were cousins and probably spent a lot of time together at family gatherings. Remember, John the Baptist was also related to Jesus. So can you imagine when they all got together as children? Jesus probably had unlimited snacks for everybody. I mean, he just like multiply them. And they probably weren't goldfish like what we serve in the children's ministry. You know, maybe they were like, Fish shaped like the Sea of Galilee fish, you know, those those ugly ones, the ones, the big bony ones that they have out. And maybe John the Baptist preferred ones shaped like locusts. I don't know, because he liked locusts. But we see in chapter 19 that John took over taking care of Mary. And we read that in John 19, verses 26 through 27. It says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. So we see that John took care of Jesus' mother after he died on the cross. According to tradition, John remained in Jerusalem to care for Mary until her death when he moved to Ephesus after that. So knowing Jesus before, you always wonder like, why would you just get up and follow somebody you don't really know, you know? So you see that they were cousins and they knew each other and they were fishers. So that's probably why it was easy just to get up and follow them because he wasn't a stranger. But isn't that how it was for us? I mean, someone you knew, right, who became who was a Christian and you weren't a Christian at that time, but they showed... Jesus to you by the way 
they acted and lived their life. Right? They were more patient in frustrating situations or circumstances. They were more kind to you than anybody else. When they were going through a hard time, you carefully watched them and you noticed how they went through it. You know, maybe you saw them reading their Bible on their breaks and lunches and you're wondering, man, what do they got? You know, what did, what did they got that, that I want? You know, you were curious about that change in them. Maybe you knew them before they became a Christian and now they're totally changed. I mean, that's how it was with, with my mom. You see, my mom was, uh, after a while, she was a single parent raising, there was five of us, but, you know, my dad was a very abusive dad, so, and he was abusive to my mom, so once they got divorced, my mom was raising everybody, but, but my mom was very worldly, you know, she'd go to the, in California, she'd go to the horse races and spend all the, whatever money my dad gave us for child support and, and my grandmother would go with her, you know, and so they're very worldly. My mom, you know, cussed and swore a lot, you know, and then she would, she took on uh, babysitting. Um, she became a nanny for this Christian couple, you know, God sent this Christian couple into their lives. And we, across the street, some Christians moved in. So um, we became friends with them. My mom, became, you know, she stayed days at these people's house and she got saved, you know, and then we noticed that that change. All of a sudden, she didn't go to the horse races anymore. She was very more nice and kind and loving and, and we would see her read the Bible and going, what, what in the world, you know? Because when we were younger, we would, my parents would drop us off, all five of us at church on Sunday so they could have the whole day to themselves, you know, they didn't go to church. They just dropped us off. And then we had to walk home and I was like four miles. So yeah, it was just, it's just interesting seeing how a change in a person that you, you're, you're just one, the Holy Spirit's like talking to you going, you need, you need that. You need what they have, you know, John referred to himself in this gospel as the disciple Jesus loved. It occurred five times. We read it in John 13 where he, he was leaning on Jesus at the supper. We see it in John 19. He said, behold your son. Remember when he was talking about Mary and he's going to take care of him. We see it at the empty tomb in John 20. We see it in John 21 on the beach. And we see it in John 21 also verse 20 following Peter. But John, James, and Peter were like the inner circles of the disciples they were at Jesus' transfer, transfiguration in Matthew 17. And that we read, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And I was reading this and I'm going, you know what? Moses finally got into the promised land, right? Remember, he didn't enter the promised land, but now he was in the promised land in the transfiguration. They were, James and John, they were with Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. Remember while Jesus was on his knee and face and praying and sweating like blood and saying, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. What were the disciples were supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be watching. What were they doing? They were sleeping. They were sleeping. And not once, but twice, they were sleeping. And Jesus said, stand and watch. But yet they were sleeping. But then Paul, the apostle, describes them in Galatians 2.9 as the pillars of the church. So, you know, isn't how God uses just knuckleheads like each one of us, you know, to further his kingdom. I mean, you could look at our staff members at church. I mean, you saw Larry. I mean, you know, we're a bunch of knuckleheads. You know, I've known Larry for a long time and I've seen him grow and he's seen me grow and, and you know, just being together and and just learning and, and growing together. And our assistant pastor, uh, Joey, you know, unfortunately, like, like Tom, he just found out he has... Uh, cancer he has liver cancer so that's kind of 
you know, a, a blow, you know, he has to go to immunotherapy and he just came back from Mexico spending 30 days there trying to get it down because right now at this point, the doctor told him there's no more that we could do. So, you know, it spread that. And it all started from a kidney stone. He went to the doctors because he had a kidney stone and then they did a scan and, and that's how they found it. Isn't that how amazing how God works? He'll get you. Well, I'm, you're not going to doctors. I'm going to send you to the doctors. I'm going to get you to doctors. My friend Kurt, he never went to doctors and he was on his wedding day. He decided to go on his roof and, and fix something and he fell off the ladder and he ended up going to doctors and they did a scan. He had stomach cancer and they took care of it that day and now it's totally gone. He ended up having his wedding in a hospital, but he's all better. Isn't that how God works? He gives you stuff ahead of time whether you like it or not, so you can take care of it. And then you just walk on that journey. Now, John's gospel builds around seven miracles to show that Jesus is God. We see in verses 2-9, turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. In chapter 4, verse 46, healing the nobleman's son. In chapter 5, verse 2, healing the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. 6-1, feeding the 5,000. Now, if you notice, the Gospel of John, the feeding of the 4,000 is not in here. It's not in this Gospel. In verses 6-16, walking on the Sea of Galilee to rescue his disciples from the storm. In chapter 9, verse 1, healing the man born blind from birth. And chapter 11, verse 1, the famous raising Lazarus from the dead. Verses 2-9, 4 and 11-1, are only in the Gospel of John. They're not in the other Gospels. Now, there was also a eighth sign in chapter 21 that was just for disciples. This was at the Sea of Tiberias after his resurrection. And I'll give you the summarized version. Remember, the disciples were fishing all night and caught nothing. But in the morning, Jesus was there on the beach, right? And they did not know it was Jesus. And he asked them from the shore if they had any food. And they said, no. But then Jesus told them, well, why don't you cast your nets on the right side of the boat? And when they did that, they caught a huge boatload of fish. And that's how he fed them. And remember after that, he restored Peter. Peter, do you love me? All that. Now, also in this gospel, it contains the seven I am statements. In chapter 6, we read, I am the bread of life. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In chapter 8, we read, I am the light of the world. It says that Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Chapter 10, the door. Jesus says, I am the door. He said to them, Again, most assuredly say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In chapter 10 also, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am, in chapter 11, he goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In chapter 14, we're going to go through this. I am the way, the truth, and life. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Chapter 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, for without Jesus, you can do nothing, right? We can't do nothing on our own. We cannot do nothing in this life without Jesus. That's why we have to be connected to him, the vine, in order to live life. Now, all these I am statements are showing Jesus' Godhead. Remember the burning bush in Exodus? I mean, right now on Sundays, we're in Exodus. And remember where God was speaking to Moses? It says, then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? He asked God. And God said to Moses, I am 
who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Another example is when Jesus got arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'll give you the short version. It says, When Judas and the soldiers came to the garden to arrest him, and you only read it in, I believe, Mark's Gospel, and Jesus asked them, Who are, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. So when Jesus answered them back, he said to them, I am he. And those powerful words caused them to draw back and fall to the ground. So when he said, I am, expressing his Godhead, they fell back, just that powerful words. But we read in Colossians 1 that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I remember during one of the creation classes, I teach some creation classes and some apologetics classes, some new believers classes throughout the year. And um, one time, Lou Gigliaio was saying that in this video that there's this protein molecule. And it's a protein molecule that holds everything together in your body on, you know, on each thing. And then he showed a picture of it. And the protein molecule was shaped like a cross. It was, he, you know, you had to have those micro, what do you call them? Microscopes to see it, but it was shaped like a cross. It's just crazy, but it holds everything together. And it says here, and in him all things consist. All things are held together by Jesus. So the Gospel of John is also evangelistic. John 20, verses 31 it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then, of course, Gospel of John contains the famous scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we, we uh, also do a... a a class on how to share the gospel and we go through uh, Pastor Greg Laurie's video series and and we just concentrate on this verse John 3:16. I mean that's that's the one how we became saved, right? Right? Wait a minute. God sent his son to die for us? Really? For me? He paid the price? He he was sinless? He never sinned? You know? So now let's turn to John 14 and we're going to start with verse 1. So verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now this word troubled means to be distressed or anxious. It is here in verse 1 and in verse 27. So why were their hearts troubled? Well, first of all, the world they were living in were hostile towards Jesus and his followers. You know, they had Saul, who later became Paul, who was persecuting the Christians and and tracking them down and killing them, even kids, you know. You know, they were, but if you go back to previous chapters, Jesus had told them about his upcoming death. Imagine you've been following somebody, the son of God for years, and now he tells you he's going to leave you. They thought that he was going to bring the kingdom back, right? But now he says he's going to leave them. He also just pointed out two other things to them. First, that Judas Iscariot, one of their own, would be the one to betray him. And then second, he had told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. He knew what was going to happen. This is why their hearts were troubled. They had come to rely on Jesus for everything. And now they were probably wondering what's going to happen to them. 
Are the soldiers going to come after them now? Like they did Jesus? Are they going to be whipped and, and persecuted? What are they going to do? They're going to have to go back to fishing because they weren't great fishermen. You know? But what are they going to do? And then Jesus says at the end of verse 1, he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He gave them the cure for their troubled heart. Have faith in me. Have faith in Jesus. Isn't that how we get through our tribulations? Any of our hard times? Right? Instead of worrying about them, about our problems, we have to trust that the Lord will see us through them as long as we trust in him. Right? That's a, that's a daily thing. I mean, it's hard to like not know your future, you know. I know we all got our little tax thing and, you know, went up 40%. And I was going, man, that's like two grand. How? Barely afford the property taxes from last year. Now you got to pay two grand more, you know. But you got to give it to the Lord. The Lord's going to take care of you, right? He says he's never going to leave us or forsake us, right? He's going to bring us through everything. You see, worry can be an all-consuming feeling of uncertainty and fear, right? But when you're worrying, you're living as though God does not exist. It's actually unbelief that God can't bring you through this situation. So when you're worrying, what are you doing? You're leaning on your own understanding, right? You're trying to figure it out in your mind. What's gonna, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? How do I do this? What are my next steps? But what does Proverbs 3, 5 says? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, right? God knows that our future and he knows when we're going to die. He knows everything, right? We have to lean on him. He's the one that's going to take care of us. I mean, we're building a, a new building over there on Fifth and Woodlands, you know? What happened this last couple of years? The price of wood skyrocketed, right? And we already had started building. And what does that bring up? Brings up the cost. Now you're, you got more millions of dollars to like come up with. And because the price of wood went up. But it's not our problem, right? That's my past. It's not our problem. This is God's problem. It's His building. He'll come up with the money. Right? That's how it's going to be. And that's what we we lay everything down. And you know what? God always provides. He's always provided. You know, when my pastor first got to our church, he took over because our other pastor wasn't doing things correctly. He was kind of light a little bit. Um, He said there was a board. There was no board. He did all the finances, you know, there was no accountability. So, but my, but God called our current pastor. So you're going to go take over Calvary Castle Rock. My pastor lives right up the street from it. He lives over there in Castlewood Ranch. He was traveling to Littleton every week. So it's perfect, you know, but he had a, a church already and God was just calling him. He said, you're going to take over, you know. Little did he know till he was there, <laughs> till he accepted and everything, that we were behind on our rent, you know. And there was money missing. And But he said, you know, we're just going to trust in God. I'm telling you right now, within a year, all that was replaced. All that was caught up. God provided in fact, he said, we're going to pay our rent up a month in advance. So now we're always two months in advance to show our landlord that you could, you could once again trust us, you know, and that's what it is. God will always provide, always provide for us. In verse two, it says, in my father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So, are we going to have mansions in heaven? Well, there's two thoughts on this. The first one is, yes, 
we all have mansions, and, and I hope mine is like a big log cabin in the woods. I don't want a fancy one. I just, you know, our favorite place to go once a year, we always go in October, and my wife is, is SS Park. I said, man, if we could afford a, one of these cabins, man, it would be a nice place to just go get away, you know? Get away from everything and just come up here. But this word mansion in verse 2 is the Greek word mone, which means staying, abiding, or a dwelling place. So this can also be talking about our heavenly body, our tent, as the Apostle Paul says. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, one, says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have this earthly, temporary tent now. But when we die or get our, the rapture occurs, we will have a not made with hands, but an eternal heavenly body. Not like the one we have now that's falling apart. If you guys are older than 50, you know what I mean. You find it more important to go to the doctors yearly, get your checkup, maybe do a little bit more. And so you can make adjustments, right, to your diet or or maybe you have to go to the extra mile when you go out for walks every day, you know, because your doctor says, stay busy, take care of your body. We have to be good stewards of our body, right? God gave us this. And I know that's the hardest thing to do, right? It's the hardest thing to do is to be uh, diligent in getting these things done. But, you know, as you get older, you got to do them. I know I'm always telling my, for for some reason, I'm like the only siblings on the fight that go to the doctor. It's like, why don't you go to the doctors? You got free insurance from your job. Why don't you go? Oh, I just don't have time. Why don't you go to the dentist? Oh, I don't know. It's paid for. You know, my brother never did. My older brother, and he never went to doctors. He had the insurance, never went. I don't know why. One day he woke up, got out of bed. Not He didn't get out of bed. He just, you know, you get up and you just stand up, and then he died. Just like that. His heart gave out. You know, it's just like, why didn't you take care of yourself? Why didn't you go to doctors? You know, maybe you had high cholesterol and you could have been on cholesterol medicine, you know? It's just sad. So I'm, I'm a firm believer. I always bug my, I have sisters left and another brother and I always bug them. You know, we always make a thing. All right, so when you make your doctor's appointment, we just did this, then I'll make mine. You know, it's like a dare. I go every year in October here. So I send him my appointment. Now you make your appointment. You know, that's the only way to get him a doctor. You got to like, like dare him to go. So they go get checked. <clears throat> now, some people think that when you die, you just go to sleep forever. Right? We know that's not true. Some believe you come back as someone else or something even. That's also not true. Nowhere in God's word does it say that. Some people also believe that when you die, you become an angel. Also not true. You know, we all know that an angel is a created being and they are messengers of God. That's their job is to be messengers of God. Here's a side note. I remember when our pastor came, there's two things I always remember that always shocked me. He said, you know, there are no female angels. What? Come on. Because I was in media and I, you know, we hear the teaching. I hear it three times, three times every Sunday because I'm recording it. I go, what? And then you think about it and you're going, oh yeah. Nowhere in God's Bible does it say they're female. In fact, most of the time when one appears, what do they always start off saying? Do not be afraid, right? When they see it ain't, do not be afraid. So they're, Probably some large, scary, burly-looking guys, you know, that scare you. And then he also told me, you know, it's like you hear sermons all the time. And and he said, yeah, the wise men weren't there at the birth of Jesus. I go, what? What do you, 
And then you look and you read and you be a Berean and you go look. You're right. They didn't come till they, he was a toddler. Yeah. So now if, if my pastor comes over, you know, he goes to people's houses during Christmas, they got to make sure their nativity scene, the, the wise men are on the other side of the room, you know, because they don't come till later. They weren't there at the birth of Jesus. So, so now he said he was going away, but now he was telling them why. He's going to prepare a place for them in his father's house, which is referring to heaven. As Christians, we know that there is heaven. You know that the word heaven is found over 276 times in just the New Testament? John wrote in his book of Revelation what heaven will be like. It says in chapter 21, it says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You see, the city of heaven has walls made of precious stones. In verse 23, it says that the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, right? The Lamb is its light. The Lamb will be its light. Kind of reminds you of, you know, we just went through Genesis, so obviously we're in Exodus, and then I do creation classes, and people always get shocked when, in Genesis 1-3, when God said, let there be light, here also is God's glory was illuminating everything because the sun was not created till day four. So the light was God. A pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, runs through the middle of the streets. The street of the city is pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, do you remember when Paul the Apostle was almost stoned to death in the city of Lystra. Remember, they threw him out because he was preaching. They they just didn't want to hear the gospel. They didn't want to hear about it. And they threw him out and they stoned him. And then he became unconscious. And remember, he went to the third heaven. And he comes back and he says, and I heard inexpressible words. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? You're going to hear things that you just can't even describe. I just can't wait to hear that. And I was like, oh, that's what Paul was talking about. Inexpressible words. Now, verse 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Right? He will, I will come again. Right? He's speaking of the rapture of the church. We read that in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in there. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15.51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We will be changed in an instant. This old, worn-out tent that we're walking around in will be changed to our eternal heavenly body, as we read earlier. You know, no more <laughs> no more disease. I don't know if you can pick an age where you want to be, you know. I don't know. Is God going to let you, like, I want to be 20 again. Can I just have that body, you know? Or maybe people are like, oh, I like my 40s. Maybe I could be in my 40s. No. <laughs> so verses 4 and 5, it says, And where I go, you know, and the way you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? But Jesus had been telling them that he was going to be crucified and die. And on the third day, he will rise from the grave. And go to heaven. He said that earlier, before all this. But apparently, Thomas was not paying attention. And you know, it, it's 
You know, we always give Thomas a hard time, but it's probably good to be a doubting Thomas, right? We should doubt everything and just research it from ourselves and not take a guy's word behind the pulpit, but just be a Berean and research ourselves. That's why it's important to follow along with your Bible. And you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. What's the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. All right, go back and look. And then in verse 6, what does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the sixth I am statement of the seven that we read earlier. When he says this, I am the way, he uses the definite article to say he is the only way. There is no other way. He is not one of the ways, like some people believe, but he is the only way. Now, many false teachers today, like Doug Padgett, Brian McLaren, and, and of course, Oprah, don't believe that, they don't believe this. They say there are many paths to God, right? Isn't that what you hear? Isn't that what you see on TV? There has to be more than one way. Not everyone is on the same level, so there has to be, I mean, I'm better than you, right? So I should be able to get there easier, maybe in a in more luxurious time, you know? But they believe there, there are many paths to heaven. But as Christians, we have to correct them and say, no, no, Jesus said he's the only way. Well, what do you mean? He said he's the only way. Believe in him. He's the only way. You only get to the Father through him. And, you know, anybody could be a, a preacher nowadays. There's this one millennial on TikTok who calls himself Reverend Brandon Robertson. He is getting so popular that his nickname is the TikTok preacher. So he's he's taking scripture so out of context. It's, it's it's you know we had our pastor played a twenty minute video of him, one of his TikTok things. We watched it during our leadership meeting, and we're watching him, and it's like red flag. Oh, that's not true. red flag. That's not, you know he's just saying all this nonsense. And but the problem is. Is people out there, they don't read the Bible, but they're taking his word for it. So they believe it. Right? He's getting so popular, he's, he was featured on Rolling Stone magazine. And like any false teacher, he takes everything out of context, especially this verse. He says about this verse, he told his followers, he says that Jesus is not the only way, but what Jesus was really saying, if you follow his way, follow his truth, follow his life, he will lead you to God. Mm, no. He only concentrated on the beginning of the verse, but he did not focus on the last part, which said, except through me. You have to accept Jesus into your heart in order to make it to heaven. You got to live for him because Jesus is the way. Peter reiterated this to the elders of Israel in Acts 4.12 he says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? This is a perfect verse if you're witnessing to somebody to bring them back to this. If Jesus is not the only way to heaven and there are other ways, then why believe in anything, right? This is as, as important as Jesus being resurrected on Easter. If there was no resurrection, what are we doing here? Right? If he didn't rise from the dead, then what are we doing here? Other cults and religions, they their person didn't rise from the dead. Saul, who later on became Paul, called Christians people of the way. Right? Because this is what they were telling everybody. Jesus was the only way. And he persecuted them. It says in Acts 22, he goes, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Don't you, don't you love it when people tell you that you're being narrow-minded because you say things like that? Right? When you share with them that Jesus is the only way to heaven? You know, I think of that, the verse in Matthew 7, it says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many 
many who go in by it. Right? So if Jesus is the only way to heaven, um, what do other major religions believe? Do they believe that? We're going to go over just a few of them. And like I said, I, I, I teach apologetics class, me and a couple other leaders, and, and we go through each one what they believe. But Mormons believe that God was once as we are now. They also believe that Jesus was a creative being and he is the spirit brother of Lucifer and that there are three different types of heavens for Mormons. Celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. Based on how you live, you can become a small g god and rule a planet. Salvation is worked base. So that's the Mormons. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, a whole different thing. It all starts out bad for them. Anyway, they deny the Trinity of God. They don't believe that Jesus is God. For salvation, they believe in the existence of two classes. Highly complex and work-oriented system of salvation. One which holds that only a handful of people will enter the higher levels of paradise. Only people of their religion will go to heaven and they don't believe in hell. So Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in hell. Now, Islam, the Quran denies the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus was never crucified and thus never resurrected. That's what they believe. So how do they go to heaven? In researching it, and watching videos, it's like very complicated. You can't really get a straight answer. Like, okay, so how do you go to heaven? They can't give you an answer. Now, Buddhism, there is no concept of punishment or reward, and there is no divine being who decides who goes to hell or heaven. When you die, it leads to rebirth or reincarnation. So, you, like I said, some people believe you come back as someone else or something, maybe a donkey or something, you know. Now, Hinduism, salvation is the individual's soul liberation from the cycle of death and rebirth and attainment of the highest spiritual state. It is the ultimate goal of Hinduism. Salvation. Nothing about Jesus, nothing about God. It's everything else. But what does society today say? All roads lead to God, right? Isn't that somewhat true? All roads will lead to God? Because the Bible says that we got to stand before God, right? Everybody will stand before God. The question at that time will be, will you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ where believers stand? As Romans 14.10 said, or will you stand at the great white throne judgment where unbelievers will stand? And you don't want to be at that, at that one. As Revelations 20, 12 says, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So this is the great white throne judgment. So unbelievers will be judged according to their works and by the things which were written in the books. Could it be that some unbelievers will be, there will be different punishments based on what a person did? Could be. Remember, we're always saying, man, that guy's very evil. I hope there's a special place in hell for him. Maybe there is. Because they're going to be judged about what the things they did. And the first one is rejecting Christ. They're already going to the lake of fire. You know? But we don't have to be concerned about that, right? Because our sins were blotted out by the blood of Jesus when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. Right? We don't have to worry about that. Are we sinless? No. Definitely not. We sin almost every day. We just have to confess our sins 
and turn from them when we do, right? Jesus is truth. Now, remember when Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Everybody remember that from the Passion of the Christ? What is truth? In John 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And what did Jesus do? He answered and said, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate was kind of shocked. He said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. There is no fault in him. The truth incarnate was standing right before him. And Pilate didn't even realize it, right? Jesus Christ, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life was standing right in front of him. And what does our society say today about truth? There's different views on it, right? Moral relativism. This belief that what is wrong for you is not necessarily wrong for me, right? And what is right for you is not necessarily right for me. Moral relativism. If you believe this, then you will be easily influenced by various anti-Christian groups, like the ACLU. The acronym for that is Anti-Christian Liberties Union. You know, pluralism. All truths are equally valid. Pluralism. Postmodernism was born under Western secular conditions, has the following characteristics. It emphasizes pluralism, all truths are valid, and relativism, and rejects any certain belief and absolute value. So there is no absolute. So postmodernism, there is no absolute truth. There's no right or wrong. What you say what I feel, and, and you see that a lot in today's society, I'm not sinning. What is sin? Who are you to judge me? We know that Jesus is the absolute truth. Jesus is life. He is both our physical and spiritual life. The Bible says in John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly in john six thirty five, it says that jesus said to them i am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst in john eleven twenty five, jesus said to her i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die he shall live in John's other book, 1 John 5, 11. And this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. So he who has the Son, Jesus, has life. We have life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Recapping John 14, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only true measure of righteousness, and he is the only source of life, our life. But then you got hope, right? We all need hope. You know, a couple of times when Olinger's funeral home was small, they didn't have a big place where people could go and have a service. So what they would do is they would ask us, and we were always willing to help, you know, as long as it's not on a women's Bible study day or, or something else, if they could use our church our sanctuary. 
So we've had several, before now they became, they expanded, we have had several services there. And they would bring in their own pastors, use our own stuff. But we have seen, and I have seen, because uh, I was there running media, and I have seen hopelessness, hopelessness. This one lady, very clear, even though this was several years ago, her husband worked downtown and he was going home to the meadows and for some reason he was going around a roundabout and it slid and he hit a pole and died. And that was her life. That was that was her life. He was it. They had kids. And for him to die just devastated her. And you saw her throughout the whole service just crying. And I mean, that was her life. And it got to a point where she wouldn't even let him take the funeral. The memorial was over. She wouldn't let the casket leave. It was an open uh, casket and she wouldn't let it go. She will not, she wouldn't let it go. She kept on hugging it and they were trying, you know, they had a deadline. They had to go to the gravesite. You know, you're on a schedule at gravesites and she wouldn't let it go. She was just crying and crying. And I just felt so bad for her. You know, there was just hope, hopelessness. I don't, I don't know what, what happened to her, you know. And there's others that, you know, speaking of other religions, we had, you know, people from India have things. And we were just shocked about how much money they throw in these caskets for the afterlife. They would literally throw cash and money and coins in the casket. I mean, we're talking hundreds of dollars for like like 20 minutes. People were just throwing money in and we were going, oh, no wonder there's grave robbers, you know? That's a lot of money to be thrown in there. But it's just odd. You know, they people believe the wrong thing. You know? But hope. One of my favorite verses, First Peter 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Living hope. Jesus Christ is our living hope through the resurrection of him from the dead. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Even when we mess things up and we do that every day. There's a story that I heard while commuting to work. And you probably couldn't do this nowadays because it's animal cruelty. But in the 1950s, this Gentleman is a true story. He did experiments on wild rats. On wild rats. The scientists dropped the wild rats into containers half filled with water. Though known for their swimming ability, they all died around the 18 minute mark. Okay? He then repeated the experiment on a new set of rats with one adjustment. This time he rescued the rats just before they were about to drown. He held them a bit before putting them back into the water. So he got them out of the container and held them up where they catch its breath. And it was a shocking result as a group of rats survived for a surprisingly 36 hours more, 100 times longer than the first group. Why? Because he lifted them out for a moment and gave them hope that he would do it again. But obviously he didn't. So with no hope, that first group of rats just gave up and died. But the second group lived longer, a hundred times longer, because they had hope. They had hope that he would let them out. Kind of a strange story, but, you know, it gives you, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, we, having Jesus in our hearts, have living hope. You know, like that lady at the memorial, that was, she had no hope. We see that a lot today. We got suicide on the rise, drug use, even here in Castle Rock, and alcoholism are all on the rise. People have no hope. They have lost their way, and they are confused because society 
What? It's telling them lie after lie. You gotta be like, you have to love yourself in order to love others, right? Mm, no. You have to look this way and act this way in order for people to like you. I'm not sure what I am. What pronoun should I be called? All that matters, and this is even the church, is what makes you happy, right? God wants you to be happy, so if you have to divorce your spouse to be with the one you're having the affair with, and that makes you happy, well, that's all that matters. God wants you to be happy. Mm, No. God doesn't want you to do that. Right? So happiness is just an emotion, right? Well, what's joy? Joy for us as Christians, an acronym is Jesus, others, and then yourself, right? Jesus first, others first, and then we're last, right? When you're out snow blowing your, I live on cul-de-sac, when we're out snow blowing a cul-de-sac, it's my neighbors first, I'll do mine last. You know, and my other neighbor thinks the same way. So we're out there doing everybody else's and, and we do ours last. Jesus, others, you. That's how we're alive. You know, one of the things that you learn is for a person that is always depressed, take your eyes off yourself and do things for others, right? Serve in the church. Man, that's a great place to meet people, you know, some people like, we haven't seen them for a while, and you know, I'm sure it happened here, if you didn't see somebody for a while, you're going, where are they, I haven't seen them a couple Sundays, what's going on, then you call them up, oh, well, I just didn't feel welcome, and and all this, and nobody ever said hi to me, it's like, did you say hi to other people, did you volunteer after being there six months, did you get involved with a small group? You know, that's the best place, you know, but it's a matter of recognizing that and, and I myself have done it, minister to them and say, Hey, you know what? Sorry you felt that way. Why don't you come back here? We have an opening to volunteer in this ministry. Why don't you come by and and do that? And you know what? They did it. Change their life. Serving other people before yourself will change your life. You know, putting others before you yourself makes you happy i mean i oversee the cafe my wife served in our children ministry for years from 2005 till gosh 14 and then i i was in media but we always saw that people all the volunteers that come early would go to jack in the box and get terrible food so my wife goes well we have a cafe i said yeah but you know another pastor was overseeing it yeah, but Chris only gets donuts, and then they sell donuts all day. Well, why don't we take over? I said, why don't we take over? I'm in media. I'm already busy. I can't be taking over. No, I'll, I'll handle it. I'll handle it. I go, really? No, you won't. So if Larry didn't tell you, he's a tile guy on the side. So I talked to Larry, and I said, dude, Lisa wants to open the cafe and redo everything. Okay, let's do it. We tore everything out tore the cabinets out the stove was right next to the wall and then you had your cabinet next to it i'm going how in the world does that work you can't the panhandle won't even move you're right next to the wall so we got a new stove switch the cabinets and open the cafe and people now now people go in there early come to church and fellowship and eat homemade stuff you know it's amazing we got we get a lot of people I mean, now we have to open at 7.30, you know, just because people are getting there early and, and eating and, and you know, it, it's good. It's a good fellowship, you know. And all the people that serve, I mean, we start off with one thing on the menu and then I said, oh, man, people want more. Let's do this. So, my, you know, I'd be watching stuff on TV and let's do this. And my wife goes, well, we can make biscuits and gravy. I said, you never make biscuits and gravy. <laughs> and I don't like biscuits and gravy anyways. She goes, no, I'll make it. And then that, more people. So we needed more people to serve in the cafe. Now we have like nine people every Sunday serving in the kitchen. And it just, they're all having a great time. It's like a 
small group. They're just having a good time and somebody's going through something. Hey, let me pray for you. You know, what do you mean you got to have surgery? When are you having surgery? Oh, let me call me when you're out of surgery. We want to, we want to, you know, pray for you. See how you're doing. You know, it, it just, it just, it's just great. You know, serving. I mean, I, I came to Calvary and came to California and, and I promised God, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to make, you know, I, I laid out a thing. If we move to Colorado, I'm going to serve you more. You know, I was going to, we were working both my wife and I six days a week and we were going to harvest in Riverside. You know, I grew up on Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa as a young adult. You know, once you get married, everything changes. So I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'll serve you more, God, if you sell our house. You know, we're in townhome. This is 2005 and, and, uh, it was our first home together. And, and you know what he did? He sold it in one day back in 2005. We had nowhere to go. We had nowhere to stay. We weren't even expecting it. Our house out here wasn't even built. So what did we have to do? <laughs> we had to move back into our parents' house. So I moved in back with my mom and my wife moved back in with their dad and we just got remarried. And, you know, and then I come visit every day. I mean, it, it gave me a chance to be closer to my father-in-law, you know, being there every day having dinner every day there, you know, sometimes. And, you know, it, you know, God was preparing me for for different things because who knew that years and years later, my father-in-law's wife would pass away because she never went to the doctors and she was, uh, she belonged to a cult and they didn't believe in going to, going to doctors at all, even though she had great doctor stuff. But she ended up passing away, and then he ended up getting Parkinson's, and we would go out and visit him. Me and my wife would take turns every three months. One of us would go out there and, and see how he's doing and go take care of him. And then he just got worse and worse, and what happens? Knowing my father-in-law, he came to live with us, you know, at our house. And it worked out great. Um, eventually, we found him a home and, and, you know, to live in, and he had a great time, and and, you know, that prepared me way back when to know my father-in-law because, you know, you don't really know, you don't really hang out with your father-in-law a long time, you know, because you're married now. You only see him on, what, Christmas, special events, birthdays. You don't really hang out. But, you know, God has a way of providing and 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 making sure that he's preparing you for stuff that are ahead in your life, that he, he knows the future. He knows you're going to need to be doing this. This is what you need to do, you know. I was overseeing media for a long time and I needed to pass it on. I needed to go. I wanted, you know, I was behind the scenes, you know. I really never met people out. I never really got out because we were so busy. And finally I did. And I'm going, hey, yeah, this is once we opened the cafe, I was out there, you know, meeting people, asking, hey, how was your food, you know? You know, how's your eggs today, you know? And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed meeting people. My pastor saw, he goes, do you want to be in media anymore? I go, mm, not really. He goes, well, let's pass it on. So we pass it on to somebody. And he says, well, why don't you do classes? You do new believers class. Why don't you do more classes? I said, well, okay. So that's what I did. So now we do classes three, four times a year. And then we have church in the park on Wednesdays during the summer. So I oversee that and Everybody and their mother comes out, you know. People from church want something to do during the week. That's like your 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 refreshing time. You know, you only you come only on Sundays, and you're like, I can't wait to go to church on Sunday. I need it. It's been a rough week, but that midweek kind of boosts you up a little bit. But that's all I got. So, you know, I want to end with this. And I read this in Greg's Laurie's devotion this week. It says that God knew that we would fall short, but he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Jesus was more than a good man. He was the God man who went to the cross willingly, laid down his life and shed his blood for us. He paid the price of sin for us. He came to pay a debt he did not owe. Because we owed a debt we could not pay. That is why Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. It sounds radical, but it came from Jesus himself. 
Jesus and Jesus alone is uniquely qualified to connect us with the Father in heaven. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with everybody here. And and Lord, whatever you want us to do as as uh, Calvary to come alongside Brian and in his time of need. Lord, we're here. We're here to help. Lord, I just pray for everybody here. You continue to bless them. Be with them today. Get them home safely in this cold. Keep us warm. Bless our week. Bless our jobs. Help us to be a light to you, Lord, to our co-workers, our friends, and our families. Give us the right things to say. Lord, tell them about your son, that he's the only way. Open up those doors for us, Lord, that we could just share the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.